0: You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series. Free Will by Ankargate. Recorded as part of Ayn RandCon Europe 2022. Good morning. So our topic today is free will. So this talk will be a little strange in that I'm telling you something you already know. So we all know that we have free will. The basic phenomenon is that we make choices and what free will is, is that we make choices that we select. And the action is the selecting among alternatives. There's various possibilities and we make a choice. We make a selection. And the action is the selecting between the possibilities that we're envisioning. And we all do this. We do it all the time. We do it every day and we do it multiple times in a day. And we all know this. So what objectivism takes seriously, what its theory of free will takes seriously, is that this phenomenon exists. We know it exists, and this is how we live our life. So it takes the phenomenon of choice seriously and does not dismiss it as an illusion. And I'll come at the end of these brief remarks, I'll say a little bit about determinism. And that what the determinist view, and it, the determinist view is all over the place today. I basically, everyone, certainly in the intellectual world, outside of some religious uh, theologians who think they're on the side of free will, everyone's a determinist. So, so this is part of what's strange about the talk. This is, well, I'm talking about something that we all know, and yet almost everybody dismisses. Um, so, and I want to talk a little bit about, so what this phenomenon is and how to put it into word or put it into ideas, how to conceptualize it and the way that in, in the theory and objectivism conceptualizes the issue of choice. And one of the reasons it's important to get a real understanding of this and to be able to put it into work, it's important in life to know. What you can directly choose, but what's under your direct chosen control, what you can indirectly choose, and what is outside the power of your choice. You can directly control like showing up today. Were you too tired? Did, you, did, did the alarm go off? Did you feel like sleeping in? That's under your direct control. I'm getting up now or no, I'm staying in bed. I'm going to miss the first talk. Um, I already know we have free will, um, So you can, that's under direct control. Let's say you think, like, I'm a person who gets angry too easily. I don't want to be that person. I don't think that's under direct chosen control. You can't just choose from now on or from the next day, I'm not going to get angry easily anymore. I'm not going to get triggered, but you can't do that. But there are things you can do that I think over time, you can become a less angry person. Um, You can make particular choices that will set you on a path to, yeah, I'm gonna become a different kind of person. Or take a different kind of example. For I don't speak Spanish. I can't directly choose, okay, from tomorrow on, I'm gonna speak Spanish. I can't do it. But I can do certain, make certain direct choices that over time, that maybe a year from now or two years from now, I'll be able to speak Spanish, or at least I'll be able to speak better than I can speak now, which is close to zero. Um, Tal is gonna be talking about in his talk about the pursuit of happiness. And I think that it's, it's the same issue now. If you wanna be a happier person, can you just directly choose, okay, from tomorrow on, I'm gonna be way more happy? No, I don't think you can do that. But can you institute a whole process of making specific choices that put you on the path that six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, you'll be a happier person. That's part of what I think Cal will be talking about. And I think that is possible. So to think about what is under my direct control, what is, you can put as indirect control. I would have to make a whole series of choices and a whole progression in order to change something and something that's just not under my control. I want to be six foot five. I can't directly choose that and I can't indirectly choose. There's not a whole process of choices I can make that a year from now, I'm going to be six, five. So, and this is a, this is just a constant phenomenon in life. Understand what is under my direct control, what is indirectly under my control and what's outside of my control. And part of the importance of then conceptualizing and putting into words the phenomenon, of free will is to, that this kind of distinction is clearer to one in one's life. Um, but the basic phenomena that we face alternative, and that we select: Are you going to go right? Are you, gonna go ahead, or are you going to go straight uh, ahead? Are you going to go left? Though mixing up my right and left to get your right. Um, that is the, like this is the phenomenon, and this is what we face. And this is the kind of thing that we do repeatedly throughout the day. So we make choices and we make them big or small to take an example of each. You're at a restaurant and you're deciding what to order. You're selecting among the alternatives here there I put up three alternatives and it, you're making a selection between these, you're making a choice. It's not that consequential, a choice, unless you're, Allergic to fish or something, and it's going to put you in the hospital. Uh, of what you choose, but you're making a selection, and or you. Can, but there's, often there's bigger choices involved. So the, I put up the Brexit. Cho- people thinking like, am I going to vote yes, no, not vote? That's a more significant choice. It might be a choice you think about more. But one makes every day throughout the day choices, large and small. And they have consequences then for your life and the path and direction your life is going to take. Again, it can be small consequences or large consequences, but it has consequences. Now, the w- in terms of thinking about like, what is this phenomenon of choice that we're dealing with, what is the selection among alternatives, how does this work? There's a tendency in thinking about choice to think of it as it's simply a choice between particular items of content. So am I gonna order the beef special, the chicken special, or the fish special? And it's just like, I'm faced with these three items, which is, what am I gonna select? Or there's there's the vote on Brexit, I can vote yes, I can vote no, or I can not show up and not vote at all. But these are the three items, and that's what I have to select between or pick between. And I think that's true, like this is part of what it means that one is a a person who has choice, that as a human being, we have this power of making choices. But it's not just an issue of, okay, I'm faced with three different items, and it can be four, it can be eight different. I'm faced with items, and I have to just select one of these. What what is um, under one's control as well, and this is in terms of the theory of free, will, the way uh, Ayn Rand thinks about the existence of choice, that what you have control over and what you can select between is not just the items of content, but act, and more fundamentally what you can select is the way that you make the decision. So the processing that goes on in your mind in thinking about the, 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 the items I'm facing and I'm selecting between, like, so how am I going to make the choice versus what choice do I make or how am I going to make the selection between these alternatives versus just, well, I selected this alternative or that alternative. Um, So there's two, in in boiling down what the theory is, there's two aspects that are important. So one is it takes the fact of choice seriously. This is an action that we perform. And it's an action that has a cause. And the cause is you. It's you selecting between the alternatives. And what you select is caused by you. You're making a selection. It's an action that you're performing, that you're taking. So if you ask, like, what's the cause, you're the cause of it. So it takes the fact of choice seriously and does not view it as, yeah, we live in a completely deterministic world, but there's free will. So, And this is kind of the religious view, and I said, with the exception of some religious thinkers. No one really thinks that there's free will now in the intellectual world. The religious view is, yeah, I mean, I can't explain this, but God injects a spark into you or part of your soul that enables you to do this and so on. And so it has a supernatural explanation, I mean, explanation for choice. The, The objectivist theory is, no, it exists and it's a natural fact. It's just a fact about human beings that we have this power, that this is an action that we can and do regularly perform. So it takes the issue of choice seriously. And what it says is also that you have fundamental control over your life. And the reason you have fundamental control, so it's not just, oh yeah, okay, if I'm at a restaurant, I have to select from the menu, that's what the power of choice is. And so it's a power that has some Uh, some significance in your life. But if that's all it was, it doesn't seem that significant. But the reason it is significant is the the fundamental control you have and what you can select between is what your mind is doing. So it's the processing that your mind is engaged in or not engaged in that you have control over. So take a, I mean, this is true if you're at a restaurant but take the more significant choice in regard to Brexit. You have the power and you alone have the power. Am I going to think about this issue? Am I going to try to figure out what I think is the right course of action? Should I vote yes? Should I vote no? How am I going to make that decision? Am I going to just look what my friends are voting and that's what I'll vote? Am I going to do the opposite of what my friends are doing just to be a contrarian? So it, think of some of the things that Nikos was talking about yesterday in terms of tribalism and am I, am I going to be part of a tribe? That What does it mean when you act like, am I going to be this? It means that you have choice in regard to this. And it's not a choice really about, am I gonna join a tribe or not? But am I gonna engage in the kind of mental processing that is tribal? That is, am I going to just go along with the crowd, or am I just going to oppose whatever the group I don't like, whatever the tribe that I don't like is doing, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to say the opposite. I'm going to think the opposite. You have control over that. That's processing your mind is engaging in, and it's you're directing it, you're choosing it, or if it's going to be... No, I'm going to ignore what my friends are saying or what my tribe is saying, including the tribes that I don't like. And I'm going to actually think about it and try to figure out, do I think it's the right course of action to vote yes, or do I think it's the wrong course of action to vote yes on Brexit? And you can think about it. And that's the power, in a fundamental sense, that free will gives us. It gives us the power to direct, not just, okay, I'm going to say yes, I'm going to say no, but why are you saying yes? Why are you voting no? Or to take the simpler, less consequential kind of decision at a restaurant, you can just um, sort of brush off, uh, I'm gonna order something, I need, I need to eat. There's con- there's situations in which that is fine, but there can be situations too, like a person forgets they're allergic to something and orders it. That's certainly how I've seen people do that at a restaurant. And if they didn't think too much about the choice. And then they order something, and oh yeah, I'm actually allergic to what I ordered. Um, and again, that it's so. If you're asking like, how is the choice made, and what is going on in the person's mind or in your mind, and are you directing it or not? That is what you have fundamental control over. And it's because you have this fundamental power to direct your mind to decide like, am I going to think about it how am I going to make this decision that you have fundamental control over your life because for every decision you're making it's not just it's sort of a, yeah okay chicken beef fish and I'm going to flip a coin it's a no it's how am I going to make the decision am I going to think about it so that the the way that thinking of the objectivist theory of free will I think it's key insight is that when one when we typically think about free will and the root of free will, we're looking in the wrong place. We're thinking of it just as, okay, it's a selection of items of content, beef, fish, chicken, yes, no on Brexit, and not thinking of it as, yeah, but that comes from somewhere. That you make a certain selection it comes from the processing, the engagement, the thinking or lack of thinking, lack of processing that your mind is going through or that you're performing, which is a better way to put it, that you perform or choose not to perform in making the choice. So it shifts one's focus in terms of thinking, what is the root of free will? It shifts from thinking it's issues of content to it's what your mind is doing in actually making the selection. So it's about the processing your mind engages in. And this is why in in the theory, it's put as, these are, um, the, I mean, the first two are metaphors, but it's, it's the fundamental power you have in life is you can put your mind in motion. You can engage it. You can put like a car engine, you put it in gear, and now you can go somewhere. You have control over that. Another metaphor that's often used, it, it, like, and, but again, you, it's both in terms of thinking of motion, action. You can seize the reins of your mind, like seizing the reins on a horse, And now you're in control of it, and you can direct it. Or you can get on the horse, not seize the reins. It might still gallop somewhere, but you're not. It's going somewhere. It's doing something. Your mind is doing something, but you're not really controlling it. Um, it, it, To put it in in sort of more technical, psychological terms, one way to think about it is, are you in conscious control of what your mind is doing? Or are you leaving it more on autopilot? Or is it more your subconscious mind that's feeding you things and it, that's how you react and that's what you do? This is what you have fundamental control over. And in non-metaphorical terms, the way it's put in the theory is you have a choice to think or not. In the, For the, all the actions and choices and alternatives you face, you have a choice to think about those and make a decision or not, or partially think about it a little bit and then perform an action. But this is the fundamental control that you have over your mind. And so the theory is put in terms of what is the basic choice that we face in life? It's a choice to think or not. a different way, but related way of putting it in terms of what is it the control that I have over my mind. So one is to put it to think or not. And I'm putting that in terms of the engagement and setting your mind in motion or not. Another way is that and it is put in the theory is you have a choice to focus or not. And focus is to bring your mind into full activity. So I've put up here uh, two pictures of a dog. One, a dog almost looks like it's falling asleep. It's this, if you think of the dog in relation to the world and its actions in the world, it's not in control. It's barely there. It's not asleep. Some things are going on through its mind. It's seen some things. But it's not fully there versus the dog that has is riveted at attention. That is, if you're thinking in terms of its mind, it's engaged, it's monitoring the world. It's often the dog like this, as it hears the noises on the minutes. And now it's, you can say that like its mind is fully present. Its consciousness is fully present. Like what is going on? I need to figure it out. It's not capable of thinking, but it has different levels of awareness. And the dog that is like half asleep, it's barely aware. Now for a dog, it's typically, it's external things that it, it, like it hears a noise and then it, its attention really rises. For, our, for us as human beings, we again have control over this. We can decide to put our mind into focus, to be fully there, to be at attention, or you can choose not to do that, or you can, I mean, and they're not, this is not a binary. This is, you can choose to do that partly you can be more awake than the dog, than more alert than the, the dog here that is almost half asleep, yet not at full at full alertness. That this is a power that you have over your mind, and you know you have this power over your mind. Anyone can introspect that I can be more or less present. I can be more alert, less alert. I can bring myself to attention or not. And that this, this is the, a choice that one has, and it's a choice one has in regard to all one's actions, all one's thinking, all one's functioning. That you can bring yourself to be fully there, you can choose that, you can select that alternative, or you can select alternatives that I'm not fully there, all the way down to, yeah, I'm barely conscious. And that this is so you have a power to set your level of mental alertness or mental focus, and that this is the fundamental control that we have over our mind. So it's a different perspective on the same, to put it as it's a choice to think or not, or it's a choice to focus or not, to be there, to be alert, to be present or not, that that's what free will, when we're talking about it in the human context, this is what it amounts to. So, now, in the theory, there's a distinction between focus, drift, and evasion. And there are ways of capturing sort of the mental set that you're setting, or that a person is setting for themselves, of what they're choosing. And I think a way to get at that what, what, is the, what the focus, drift, evasion is capturing, what it's putting into words, what it's conceptualizing, in regard to our mental functioning that again that we all know of even if we don't have fully the words for it is that you have what part what you have control over is the amount of energy or effort mental energy mental effort that you're exerting and directing so it's an issue of effort and control when i'm thinking about uh, should i vote yes or no on brexit like what is the effort that I'm actually putting into thinking about that decision? And what kind of control, what kind of questions am I asking myself? And when I don't know the answer to a question, do I just brush it off or do I think, no, but this seems like this is an important aspect of the issue. I need to think about this more. I need to look into this more. Maybe I need to gather more facts about, like, what do I think the economic aspects of this decision will be? What do I think it will do to the British economy Two years down the road, five years down the road, ten years down the road, and if I like, I don't really know. Then should you even vote, or should you know? It seems like if I were to vote, I should know. I might not be certain what, but I should have some idea what I think would happen economically. so, if I'm going to make this vote, you have that ability to direct your mind, to exert the effort, to exert the control, or to brush it off. And. But so part of what it means that you can direct this and control it is you can orient your mind, am I going to really think, in terms of thinking about and making decisions, am I going to look at the facts and really try to grasp the facts? Regardless if I like the facts, regardless if I like the conclusion they seem to be pointing to, you can set that level of purposefulness in your mind. Like, this is what I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out what I think actually is true, what I think is the right decision, versus you can put other considerations above the facts. And that, when I um, come to the issue of evasion, we'll talk about this. But the first, so if you think of these as two aspects of the power that you have over your mind, the first is then the issue of focus versus drift. You can exert effort, you can exert control, In that you're directing your mind in an effortful way. That's the boat that has an engine that is on. Or you cannot exert much effort, not exert much control. Your mind is drifting. It's not that your mind is empty, it's not that nothing is going on, it's that you're not controlling and exerting the effort to control what is going on. So if you think, I mean, there's many analogs to this. But if you think, and maybe this happened to some people last night, you had too much to drink. And you have less control over your mind. It's not that nothing is happening. And if you're, if you're a sober person interacting with a drunk person, it's not like nothing's happening. But they don't have full control over their mind. And it's like, say they, they say, oh, yeah, no, I can drive. And they're insisting that they can drive. But you think, well, they, they don't know what they're doing, and they can't exert full control. You might take the keys away from them because you think, they, they, look, you can't exert full control. And if you were sober, you would know. Then, well, you can't drive. Um, like, so you're, something's going on in the mind, but there's not a, you there fully controlling it. And the drift is a state where, yeah, there's stuff going on in the mind, and it, one way to put it is it's more subconscious. It's more you're on autopilot versus you're exerting effort and exerting control. And that that this is, again, that you can introspect for your own mental functioning, that this is what is going on. And so this is one axis of focus versus drift in terms of thinking about what the choice to think or not and what the or not means, or the choice to focus or not. Part of it means that your mind can be in a state of drift. And the other ask to take the, the other aspect of this is focus versus evasion, that you can direct your mind in terms of its purposefulness, that I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to identify what I think the world actually is like. I'm trying to identify what I think is the right decision. To go back to the kind of Brexit example, it's like you could. I'm trying to figure out what I think will be the economic impact of getting out of the EU or remaining in it. And I'm really trying to identify that. And it might be, yeah, everybody in my social circle is voting for Brexit, but I'm starting to think, no, like this will be the economic aspects of this will be really detrimental. are you gonna say, okay, well that's what the facts are and even if my friends are gonna say I'm stupid or whatever for voting in the way that now I'm thinking that's how I should vote, am I gonna stick to that? Am I gonna stick that what I'm concerned with is the facts and identifying them? Or are you gonna place some consideration above the fact in some way that it's, yeah, I'm not gonna really look at these, I'm not gonna base my decision on them, I'm gonna elevate something other than an identification and an evaluation of the facts—that's what's going to govern what I'm doing. So, and it could be, yeah, I, I will look at the facts, so long as it doesn't put me at odds with my social circle. And when it—and um, it is like, oh yeah, my friends are going to say I'm stupid for voting in this way, then it's. I'm, yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna really try to figure this out. Often what a person does, so often involved in evasion. Of, now, you're not really looking at the facts. And one of the ways Ayn Rand puts it, it's willful blindness, it's not ignorance. It's, it's, it's exerting effort not to know. And this is the sense in which it's willful blindness. And it's often w- what a person does is rationalizes. So they give themselves a pretend reason that makes it look like they're facing the facts. So you're coming to think that like economically this will be bad for Britain if I vote yes or if I vote no. And so but that's putting you at odds with your friends and your social circle. So it's, you might tell yourself, nah, but I don't really know, that I don't really know, or I'm not certain that the economic impact will be detrimental, so yeah, well, so why would I vote in that way? And, so, and it's, you don't really know that, but you're telling yourself that, so it looks like you're facing the facts, but you're not actually facing the facts. And there's many other mechanisms in which a person can, and many other reasons, so not just social circle, it can be, um, there's all kinds of reasons that a person can evade, but to place some consideration above the facts. That the, and this, again, in terms of thinking of the processing and orientation of one's mind, that one has power over this. And you have power over this in regard to every decision, every choice that you make. And so in terms of thinking about it as the, the basic choice, the basic choice is one way to put it in terms of the the processing your mind engages in, is you choose, you set, you determine the rationality or irrationality of your mental processing, of your mental functioning. In making the decision about Brexit, or about what to order, or about whom to marry, or about what career to pursue, Am I making that decision and thinking about that and making that, and it's often a series of choices if you're thinking, like, what career am I embarking on? Am I doing it in a rational way or in an irrational way? Or partly rational, partly irrational? This is what you have power over, and it's why, then, you have fundamental power over your life because in any choice, any decision, large or small, you have the power, am I going to proceed rationally to the best of my ability to try to figure this out, to determine what I think is true and what I think is right, or not to do that. <clears throat> so this is how, in, in terms of tying this now to, to, tying this to um, a uh, to, to, to moral issue, this is one way that Ayn Rand puts the, the issue in Atlas Shrugged. Man has a single basic choice to think or not, and that is the gauge of his virtue, not the degree of your intelligence, but the full and relentless use of your mind, not the extent of your knowledge, but the acceptance of reason as an absolute. And to put it to the issue of free will, to accept reason as an absolute is to dedicate yourself that in making choices and in making decisions, I'm going to do it rationally. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. That's not a guarantee that I'm going to be able to figure out the issue. It's not a guarantee that I'll get it right, that I'll, get, I'll identify what's true, and I'll figure out what the right decision is. But if you don't do that, if you don't put your mind in it fully engaged, fully proceeding rationally, it is a guarantee that you won't figure out the truth. That you won't be able to identify what is right and what, is, what I should be doing. So it's like in, that she thinks this is the fundamental choice one has. It's under direct control. Morality and what is good and evil or what is right and wrong for you to do has to be something that is under direct control. It's You're saying you're right to do this or I'm blaming you for not having done this this is under direct control, this is the root of free will, and then it becomes, in, from the perspective of morality, and are you making the right choices or the wrong choices? It's the root of looking at virtue in objectivism, and this is why she puts it, like if there's a single basic choice, and it, this is the gauge of one's virtue, of if one is proceeding in the right way or the wrong way, and it's chosen, and it's set by us, and this is the power we have, and it's a power in effect, for good or evil. We can dedicate ourselves to the truth and to what we think is right, or we can not do that. And that's a power that each of us has. And this is her sort of basic view and theory of free will. Now there's a lot of other details that I haven't got into. I haven't talked about the way to think about determinism and part of um, the way in which, so you can ask about this, the way in which determinism is self-refuting Um, But I'll I'll leave that all for questions. And I I think uh, 20 minutes are up. So let me give the floor to Aaron now. Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to aynrand.org.